Hi, I'm Dan, your money coach, and today we're gonna unpack the best way to buy a car. We're gonna be going through all the different secret ways that rich people out there are getting the most out of the car buying experience and making sure they get the most value. The wealthiest people that I've seen buy cars have gone into the dealership, they know what they want ahead of time, they pick up what they need and they leave. They came on, they pick up their car, and they left. They've already done the research, they know the value, they know what they want, they don't spend a lot of time in the dealership waiting to get upsold on a different product. This is important because there's so many different ways in which you can fall into traps. It's a huge industry, and there's a lot of mystery. Not everyone's a car guy. Not everyone's a person out there that is under the hood of a car, knows all the ins and outs, knows where the value is. If you want a general recommendation, Hyundai is the most reliable car rated currently today. I know everyone, especially growing up, thinks about a reliable car. They think of a Toyota Camry. They think of their Honda Accords. Great cars. I agree. No problem. If you need yourself a truck, go ahead and get a Ford F-150. Be my guest. Get a Toyota Tundra. Those are great cars. But in general, uh, if I were to go out today and buy a brand new car, I'd be looking at something that I know that 10 years down the road is going to run smoothly. I'm going to be able to put hundreds of thousands of miles on it, get the most value out of it, and that's going to be a Hyundai for me. Uh, that may not be appealing to you. Maybe you um, you have a higher income and you're ready to throw more money at a vehicle. Maybe this is the something you've been saving up for for a long time. I say go for it. You can uh, definitely put money into this. This can be a luxury for you. Um, I have no problem with that. Don't expect it to be an investment. Don't think you're going to turn around, sell it 20 years from now and, and send your kids to college on it. This is definitely an investment that will depreciate over time. It's not going to appreciate. Most importantly, wealthiest people that I've seen walk into a dealership, they walk in, they know what they want, pick up their car and they leave. They do a test drive, they know what they're getting and they're happy to get it there. The second important thing about buying a car that wealthy people do 50% on people paying cash or getting a loan if they get a loan it's a short-term loan this is something that they expect to be able to pay off a car loan one two three years at the most so if you're out there and you're shopping for your car and you're thinking I mean what kind of financing can I get interest rates are crazy this is a tough time I mean my mortgage is so high anyway if you're looking at buying a car make sure that you can pay off the entire car at least within three years with your current income. Don't expect to get some big pay raise and say, well, I'll pay this off later and keep kicking the can down the road. This is an important thing that you need to be paying attention to because it can make or break your entire budget if you have a whole bunch of extra debt on something that's going to go down in value as soon as you drive it off the lot. So be able to pay off your car quickly. I'd say be able to do it in a year. So if you're needing a car loan, if you can't pay for it in cash, then figure out based on the payments that you're gonna to have to make, how you're gonna be able to pay off this car in 12 months time. If that's 24 paychecks, do the math and figure out where your ratio is for being able to own this car. The third way that wealthy people out there are buying cars is to focus on getting some kind of warranty product product and so i know this is going to be a hot button issue there's going to be a lot of opinions in the comments but i tell you what the one of the best values that we've had is a bumper to bumper warranty on a used car and so this is something where we you, you can invest a couple thousand dollars more for the peace of mind to know that that car is going to last you for a long 
term solution for you. And so if you're looking at buying a new car and you're going to be financing it, well, consider this an added level of uh, risk mitigation. You're taking some of your liability on something that is a liability, something that you have debt on, and you're gonna push that off onto a warranty that's gonna be able to at least protect the powertrain. What we're talking about is we're talking about engine, transmission, the things that make the car go. This isn't necessarily going to help cosmetically, you know, that's gonna cost you even more. And so finding out where you're buying this car from and where the best value is for you uh, as far as making sure that it's taken care of as far as a warranty. One way that you can protect yourself if you're going to buy from an individual and buy a used car in cash, which I definitely support. I think you should try to do that and go shop around. Uh, go and take it to a local trusted mechanic and get them to look over the entire car. It may cost you $100 for them to do a 100-point inspection that's going to look at every aspect of the vehicle and it's going to do a test drive use someone who actually knows what they're doing. Every time I ever look at a car, if I'm going to be spending money on it, especially my hard-earned cash, I'm going to have someone who knows what they're doing do a full inspection on the vehicle before I drive it off the lot or before I hand anyone any kind of cash. The next way that wealthy people are investing in vehicles and going and buying a car, they're considering the profit and value of buying and leasing. So if you're looking at a new car, you should consider if you should buy it outright or you should lease it. Many wealthy people out there prioritize purchases over leasing regular cars. This is the cars that they are buying to use on a day-to-day -day basis. Long-term ownership and leasing for cars are only really considered short-term solutions. They're more likely, on average, to lease luxury cars. So the wealthiest people out there, if they're gonna have a lease, it's gonna be a short term and it's gonna be a luxury vehicle that they wouldn't want to sink a bunch of money into because the higher the value, the quicker you're gonna be able to see that rate of decline. Ultimately, I would prefer that you would avoid leasing a vehicle unless you have a very specific reason to do so. The average person out there does not need to be leasing a car for their day-to-day -day use. And uh, if, if this is something where um, you have a business or maybe there's a company lease that you're able to use, um, maybe you're leasing a luxury vehicle because you have a specific reason, maybe this is a part of, um, a, you know, frankly, if it's revenue-seeking behavior, an IPA, an income-producing activity, if that's the case, then it's part of the equation and then it becomes a math problem. But for the everyone else out there, myself included, I don't need to be leasing any vehicles and I don't need to be trying to leverage up into other types of luxury just to enter into a cycle that's not gonna help me in the long run. The next way that wealthy people out there are investing in their car buying experience is considering if they have a business and looking into different tax deductions then they can apply to their car purchase. If you have an LLC, then you need to be looking at how you can be buying furniture, computers, uh, vehicles 
for that business purpose. And that's important caveat is that I'm not a tax professional and this is just a, a general tip for you to look into is that if you're able to use some of these resources for business purposes, then you can have a very uh, beneficial tax deduction. Just Google out there, Graham Stephan Tesla uh, cost. Uh, look at that in the YouTube search bar and you can find how Graham can rationalize a Tesla purchase for as low as something like $47 a month, I think is what he boiled down to. A lot of that leverage, a lot of the way that he was able to reduce his total perceived cost of owning that luxury vehicle was through taxes. And so really consider the options that you have in front of you for if you have a business, being able to declare some large purchases like this for uh, for a business purpose. So that's gonna be a, an opportunity for you to really maximize your overall car buying experience. And who knows what you could afford if you had an extra 30%. The next way that the wealthy people are hacking the car buying experience is some have figured out that you can register your vehicle in states that have no sales tax on vehicle purchases. So if you're in a state that has a very high cost of uh, sales tax on things like vehicles, and maybe there's ad additional fees and stuff that you get into, maybe take a look at the last time you bought a car or an example online in your state of what the overall total cost, because when you get in there and you look at the sticker price, you think, wow, that's expensive. And then you get to the end of the experience and you think, wow, I just spent thousands of extra dollars on all kinds of things at the dealership. There are states out there, like for example, I've heard that Montana or Oregon um, are states that you can uh, make a purchase and not have tax on that vehicle. Now, let's say that you're buying more than one vehicle. Maybe you have a business again, and you're going to be buying multiple vehicles for that business. Far and away, the easiest way to do this is to either own property or have a business incorporated in one of those states. So this is a big step, and you're going to really have to weigh the cost benefit of incorporating a business in another state with the intent of one of the benefits being that there is no sales tax on things like car purchases. So I can imagine that if you were, let's say, a, uh, a company that I see these trucks uh, since this hurricane heading down the southeast towards Florida to do relief efforts. So if you're having to own a fleet of 10 of these large F 350 trucks for hurricane relief are you going to buy or lease uh what kind of tax implications are there should you have a portion of your business registered should you uh, incorporate a business in montana or oregon for the for the benefit of being able to uh, have this large expense tax-free with no sales tax in those areas. So there's a lot of different considerations. You can imagine that within a family budget, it's pretty clear. Like I talked about before, you look at your paycheck and you see what portion of this is going to go towards my transportation cost. Now, if you can keep it 5%, 10%, we're talking about gas, insurance, any kind of debt that you may have on it, that's going to be ideal. But um, if you're looking at your total income and you say, wow, I'm spending a third of my income on the total cost of getting me from A to B, that's going to be too much. We're going to need to make some hard decisions on where that money's going and 
whether or not it's worth it. And I'm willing to ask you those tough questions. Is it really worth it? Because what what else could you be doing with that money? Now, are you really paying yourself first? Are you really valuing the dollars that you're earning as income? If you're just throwing it away at financing a car that's going down in value, what's it going to feel like 10 years from now? Is it going to be really worth having that one step up uh, of a luxury vehicle now? Or do you want to be able to uh, drive like no one else 10 years from now? And that's the question you're going to have to ask. And so you don't have to necessarily trade in your car for a bike, make an extreme decision in that direction, but it's something that's worth looking at how much you're putting into your car owning experience, not just the buying, but the ownership of it. And now if you have a business, just like anything else, it's kind of like having a family and those questions just compound in that direction. If you have any questions, I would love to hear about your car buying experience, about your fears, about your excitement, um, about what you've been able to accomplish with your overall money journey when it comes to transportation, something that all of us have to experience one way or another as it relates to our budgets. Now, we had some reactions last week that went really well, so I've got three more videos queued up for this experience right here. I get a check for a million dollars from my trading car company. Always wanted a black on black Mercedes Benz. So I go get, get it. it, boom, 150,000. Because remember, I had 150 minus a million, I still got 850 left. I'm still good. So I get home. My father said, That's nice. Where's mine at? I was like, You know what? You're right. So if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here right now. Me and him, we get in the car, go get the Zach same car for him we get home my mom's a little jealous where's go. mine at so we go and we get her the smaller bins version so we got three benzes and and i get a call the next day from the uh, bank manager and he says i need to have a conversation with you he says Shaq, you know athletes when they're done playing it's a large percentage that they have nothing so i've been following your career you're a bright young star i don't want you to be like that you need to learn how to take care and manage your money you know, General Eisenhower said the greatest leaders are the ones smart enough to have people smarter than them around them. I got a lot of smart people around me. That's right. Get a coach. Pay yourself first. Make every dollar that you earn work for you. I have $21 in my wallet. Let's see if we can use this and find $100 in profit at the thrift store today. So I usually never I look at the hustlers. kitchenware, but I've heard that certain mugs can actually be solid flips. I ended up finding this Mickey Mouse pants mug, which they were selling for $2, and on eBay it goes for $20, giving us a $12 profit to start things off. Then I made my way to the electronics where I completely I appreciate struck that out he included the fee in there as well. Massager. Fortunately, the next aisle over was the sporting goods section, which I seem to have good luck in consistently. Golf clubs are some of my all-time favorite items to flip, and I struck gold today. I found these two tailor-made R9 woods that were priced at $6.99, this Goodwill is crazy. If you have a Goodwill or a thrift store in your area that has uh, this scale and quality of material, you're missing out on a huge opportunity if you're not going over there at least seasonally to check out some of the things that people are just throwing away. Nine and they sell for over $50 each plus shipping, giving me a $40 profit per club. Now I was at $92 in total profit with $5 left to spend. I quick took a look at the shoes, but almost all these were out of my budget. So I made my way over to the toy section and ended up finding this 90s vintage Sesame Street Ernie Rock toys and Roll are huge. Plush. They were asking for $4 and on just eBay right review. now they're selling for around 18 to 19 plus shipping, giving us a $16 profit. At this point, I reached my goal of $100 in profit and had $1 to spare, which I thought would be best spent on this magic Mickey Mouse towel. I figure if it's magic, it might be worth thousands someday. Follow for more. Peace. I love this guy's hustle. I love the video, the way he made it. I love that he included the, uh, the fees. A lot of people are saying, well, it's not profit until you sell it. And that's understandable. This guy walked in with $21, walked out with like 
quality goods and if he sells it great if not the uh the risk to reward ratio for this type of um of arbitrage this hustle is is so high and if you've got a uh if you're in a community that's got a goodwill like this around you go in there check it out and if you're looking to make a hundred dollars a thousand dollars I mean, think about what you could do if you could, it, it, it would be life-changing for so many people out there if they could make an extra grand a month. So that could be a goal for you, um, just taking, starting out with $20 and seeing how you could flip it up and seeing, you know, between now and Christmas or now and the next Christmas, think about Christmas 2023, how it could be a big change for you. If you were to start with $20 now, this could be a challenge. Start with $20, go to your Goodwill, see what you can get and see if that's a, a bet a good risk reward for you because i can bet that just about anyone out there could turn twenty dollars into a thousand dollars between now and the next christmas for their friends and family i mean i couldn't think of a better roi with a a relatively low threshold of of challenge that's out there yesterday was the 15th which means i just got paid so this is how i budget my eighty two thousand. dollars i love a good budget breakdown here we go my paycheck every two weeks is $3,437.48. Immediately, federal tax comes out of that at $394.98. Social Security, $206.89. Medicare, $48.38. And then Virginia state tax at $160.48. Ouch. It always, it always catches me off guard. I live in Tennessee. We don't have a state income tax. And so when I'm looking at it, I think about my employees and I think about the federal tax, you know, I would, I would definitely want to double check the math on her uh, withholding. Cause I'm, I'm thinking maybe it's a little high, just, just from my gut uh, feeling, maybe it's really tight. I think it's about where I'm at uh, with my uh, withholding and then social security, Medicare, you can't do anything with that, but man, that state tax, it always gets you. For insurances, I pay $48 for medical, $5 for dental, and then I contribute $171.87 to my 401k and $50 to my HSA. I love that she's she is pulling out uh, for her 401k and her HSA straight from her paycheck. Pay yourself first. Let's go. This leaves me with $2,351.88. 50% of that I will put towards necessities, 30% towards savings, and 20% towards wants. Here we go. You've heard me talk about a 50-30-20 budget. This is the most common, most popular breakdown for a budget. It can't get any simpler than this. And I think this is a great way after taxes to break up your income and put it towards uh, a, a good goal like this. You could do a 60-40-10. Uh, now, I think that's a little bit more aggressive and it's worth checking out, especially if you've got some bigger picture goals that you want to tackle. I think this is something that could be fluid as well. Uh, long term, uh, on average, a majority of your time, if you think about a bell curve, could be with a 50-30-20 budget. But I could see how sometimes you're... Um, ramping up the intensity on your budgeting and looking at a 60 40 10 and then maybe in retirement you see your necessities uh you know kind of actually taking a, a back seat to some of those wants as you continue to flow into those later stages of life and so you know sometimes it sometimes it changes drastically just had a kid she's five months old and i can tell you that our uh, our wants go down and our needs increase um, when we have those big life moments. And so I would pay attention to those as you go uh, into those, in and out of those seasons of life. Think about your flow into different strategies. Since these are monthly expenses, I'm usually putting away half of them for now. So $573.75 for rent, 
$75 for utilities, $62.50 for parking, $125 for groceries, and $125 towards my car payment. Okay, I don't know where in Virginia you live, but $573 for rent sounds great. It looks like she's in a, a beautiful apartment. Maybe, you know, I can see a TV and a reflection in the background. I don't know, maybe you work there, but geez, um, you must have some uh, some roommates or something because I feel like in today's market, $573 in rent is going to be a tough sell. Um, utilities, that's low. Parking, if you're, it sounds like you're in a city, you probably got roommates. Parking, that's, you know, seems like relatively low as well. I, I'm very curious about, like, in a non-creepy way, I'm just very curious about where this person lives, like, what kind of market, because um, it seems pretty low. Man, having a family of four groceries, uh, it's it's different when you're just feeding one uh, one person versus four. So uh, this is a, an interesting breakdown. I appreciate that that relatively small car payment as well. I wonder, doing the math, that's a you know that that's in below the five percent threshold that we. Uh, try to have people keep when it comes to the total amount that they're putting towards car debt. And then you've got, uh, you know, you've got, if you consider parking, the car payment, insurance, and gas, then, you know, that is probably just under 10% of the total budget. And so that's great. I think that's a great way to keep it. For savings, I already talked about my contribution to my 401k. Pay yourself first. I also first. try to put aside $200 every paycheck towards my emergency fund, and $250 goes into my Roth IRA. Lastly, for wants, $100 goes to dining out, $37.50 on alcohol, $50 for entertainment. For shopping, we have $50 for clothing, $37.50 for home goods, $12.50 for beauty, and then the total subscription category is $36.95. I'll be honest, I don't always completely stick to this budget, but it's always good to have one. I wonder how many people are, uh, it, when it comes to the wants, are really thinking about what it's like on that salary. Now, this person has, like, I think it was $87,000 of, of gross income coming in, and she is keeping herself to less than $40 worth of subscriptions. And I know this is the thing that people harp on, but it's, it's what it takes when you are looking at a, you know, 50, 30, 20 budget to have only $40 going into something like subscriptions. It's just part of uh, how it, uh, it breaks down. And it's the last thing on her list. Instead of the first thing being those automatic transactions that eat away your paycheck, pay yourself first. Uh, put that into your HSA, your retirement. Obviously, if you're self-employed, you got to pay the tax man first and then work your way down. I think the best part of this video was the trajectory, that the first thing was taxes and the last thing was subscriptions because so often people get that reversed. And so you got to pay yourself first um, after taxes, of course, unfortunately. I know it's, it hurts, but then as you work your way down, think about those necessities and think about uh, getting all the way down to those wants. And and then that's got to be motivating because it's going to keep you working harder to increase those wants at the bottom. So to round things out, I've got a Q&A here because uh, lately I've heard a lot of talk about I-bonds and this 9.62% fixed rate only for the next five days, mind you. And this was a post 
post that I saw at the beginning of the week. So by the time this is published, um, a lot of people are going to have some FOMO if they're hearing about this for the first time and you're wondering, oh man, I wish I had gotten that 9.62% rate of return for the next six months on my I-bond. But before you go and feel like you missed out on some great opportunity, listen, these uh, I-bonds, they are going to only be at that 9 plus percent rate for the next six months. And not only, if, if you only get a 6.48% afterwards, remember that these I-bonds, they, even though it's a 12-month uh, period of holding an I-bond, if you, at that 12-month period, you get 9.62% for the first six months, and then it goes to 6.48%, and at the end of those 12 months, if you then cash out and you pull out your money from that I-bond, then you are going to have to pay a quarter of the gains on that as a penalty. Even though it's a 12-month period of time, they expect you to hold on to that I-bond and continue at a variable rate to hold on to that investment for five years. And so it's a 12-month period of time that you can expect, but even if you try to cash out early, let's say you're taking a portion, and I've seen this very popular lately, taking a big chunk of their emergency fund, $10,000 at most, and taking that 10K investment, putting it into an I-bond, and then expecting that to grow, and then 12 months later, pull it out, and you just made 9.62% in a down market. It seems like too good to be true, and it's because it is. It's going to be something that, you know, you can do that, and it's relatively virtually a risk-free investment, but it is, uh, it's not a sil- there's not a silver lining to it. There's a downside. And so um, if you're thinking about jumping on an I-bond bandwagon, I would think twice. If you've already bought an I-bond, it's not going to hurt. It's just going to be uh, paying a, a portion of your gains if you pull out too early. And if you're using your emergency fund, chances are, statistically, between now and the next five years, you're going to need that money for you guessed it, an emergency. So if you're listening to this now and you're thinking, oh, I was just about to pull the trigger and on, you know, this is, I'm talking about this on a Friday. Um, if you were about to invest in I-bonds, I would just think twice about that um, and really weigh the total cost and risk. Maybe it still is the best solution for you, but it's something that you need to know all the facts and read that fine print before you start, uh, you know, making these investment decisions on your own. And so it's just like in a, the video that we reviewed earlier with Shaquille O'Neal. He's got a lot of smart people around him. He's got, uh, you know, coaches both on and off the court. He's got advisors. He's got consultants. And I can tell you something that um, every time I see some of the business deals that he's done, every time I see some of the life-changing decisions, Every time I see some of the philanthropic moves where he's changed other people's lives, I know that there is a lot of wisdom from people that surround him in his circle that are feeding into that and helping him make those those life-changing decisions for himself, for his family, and for others. And that's what we want for you. We want you to be able to make those life-changing decisions, make those big moves, uh, really take those huge steps and those leaps towards your money goals on your journey because that's what it's going to impact. It's not just going to impact your wallet. This is going to impact your relationships. This is going to impact your career. This is going to impact 
your uh, your capacity and your propensity for joy in life and that's why this is so important for you to consider the implications for all these different themes and topics let me know in the comments what kind of questions you have and what can we impact in later episodes i would really appreciate if you would subscribe to all of our content and channels you can find me at dfbradley.com and find all the different resources there thanks so much see you next time